You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So last week in Leviticus chapter 16, which is the exact center of the first five books of the Old Testament, we looked at the why and what of the Day of Atonement. We saw that God, through blood sacrifice and the scapegoat, by means of the high priest, forgives, cleanses, and remove sin and its defilement from his people. God makes a way for atonement in Leviticus 16, and it's all pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ. The New Testament book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is both our high priest and our atoning sacrifice. In his death, Jesus bore all of our iniquities and transgressions and sins. And by his resurrection, Jesus ascended into the heavenly most holy place where he lives now as our high priest forever. Jesus lives there right now in this moment to make intercession for us by the power of his indestructible life. We in Jesus have actually entered into the most holy place. We've entered with Jesus behind the veil. We in Jesus right now live in fellowship with God. Spiritually speaking, in Jesus, we have more access to God today than was ever realized in the old covenant. Jesus has secured our eternal redemption. And though now we see in a mirror dimly, though though right now our current spiritual experience is invisible, one day, It will be sight and we will know Jesus Christ face to face. That's where we're going. We have a great salvation. So thank you, book of Leviticus, chapters 1 to 16, for helping us to see. Amen? And now that we've come past 16, you might be wondering if 16 is the center, like if chapter 16 is the high point that the first half of the book was pointing to, what do we do with the second half of this book? What about chapters 17 to 27? How do they fit? Well, here's how they fit. The first half of Leviticus, which we've seen, culminates in chapter 16. It's all about how Israel is to be clean. God forgives them. God cleanses them. God removes their sin. God establishes and maintains his nearness with his people. And now the second half of the book is about how God perfects that nearness. It's about how his forgiven people move further up and further into life with God by becoming holy. And that's a really important part there. Holiness is what this section of Leviticus is all about. Remember God, he doesn't just want his people to be clean, but he wants them to be holy. And there's a lot here in in, in these chapters um, it's an absolute, I've, I discovered, man, just, it's a gold mine, honestly, of things that I've never seen before, but we're not going to be able to get into it at all, you know, here, all the details. But what I want to do for this sermon is, is rather than get into the details, I want to just focus on three lessons that we find here that are extremely relevant for us today. All right, not, got, not looking at all the details, but just three lessons here. 
because there are in this passage, in these chapters, at least three interconnected, timeless truths that are repeated and echoed in the New Testament. And I believe that if, if we can understand these truths, it will help us make more sense of the life that God calls us to. Okay. So I'm going to tell you the three truths now. As I say these, listen to how they're connected. Okay. Number one, to live holy is to love your neighbor. Two, to love your neighbor is to honor the body. Number three, to honor the body orders sexual relations. This is what we're looking at this morning. Let's pray again. Father in heaven, you tell us that the unfolding of your word gives light and that you impart understanding to the simple. So based upon that promise by the power of your spirit, give us this morning the understanding that can only come from you. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So the first truth to see is that to live holy is to love your neighbor. Now, to explain this point, I need to show you the whole context here of chapter 17 to 20. So remember, the theme is that God is telling his people how to live holy. Chapter 17 comes first, and it directs the people's worship. The people can only make sacrifices the way that God has prescribed. That means there's to be no false worship. There's to be no rival pop-up shrines. There's to be no misuse of blood because God has designated it for atonement. That was, that's what comes first in chapter 17. Then in chapters 18, 19, and 20, what we see here is that they fit together as a bundle. And you'll notice that in chapter 18 and chapter 20, they're basically the same. They work almost like bookends. They're both about sexual relations. And if we were to read them, we'd see they're almost identical. Chapter 18 is prohibitions against sexual immorality. And then chapter 20 is punishments for sexual immorality. That's 18 and 20. And that leaves 19 right in the middle. And I want you to look at how chapter 19 begins. Okay, so <clears throat> if you have your Bible, I want you to look at this. Chapter 19, look at verse 2. 19 verse 2. God tells Moses, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. So again, what are these chapters about? Living holy, right? God's showing us how to live holy. God wants his people close to him. And progressive closeness requires progressive holiness. That's the purpose of all these commands. And again, we're not going to look at all these commands in detail. You heard just a few of them then from Dan when he read. But all of these commands in chapter 19 are basically repeating or elaborating the Ten Commandments. They're spelling out for us what being holy looks like in everyday life. Now think back to the Ten Commandments. This is a little bit ago, Exodus chapter 20. I'm remembering the Ten Commandments, there are basically two parts. And the easiest way to think about these is one part is vertical and then one part, the second part is horizontal. So the first part of the Ten Commandments are about how we relate to God. The second part of the Ten Commandments are about how we relate to people, to one another. So the first part, how we relate to God. You shall have no gods before me. You shall not make carved images to worship. You shall not take Yahweh's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. 
That's the vertical. And then the second part, the horizontal, this is about how we relate to others. Listen to this. Honor your parents. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Those are the Ten Commandments. And each of these Ten Commandments show up in Leviticus chapter 19. I thought about bringing a chart and showing you all the places, but we'll save that for another time. They're all there in chapter 19. They, they repeat the Ten Commandments. And verse 18 in chapter 19 is really important. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. Now, this command is important because it's a kind of summary command for all the others. Love your neighbor as yourself. It ties together all of the horizontal commandments in the Ten Commandments. And I think we can make that case from this text. But when in doubt, the answers are always in the back of the book, okay? So let's jump ahead to the New Testament. You don't have to turn there, but Romans chapter 13, in the New Testament, Romans chapter 13, verse 8, the Apostle Paul, who knew a thing or two about the Old Testament, right? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is what he writes. Romans 13, verse 8. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, all the horizontal commandments, they're summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Did you hear that? That's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul quotes Leviticus 19, 18, and he says that this command, this command to love your neighbor as yourself, it sums up all of the horizontal commands in the Bible. And guess what? The Lord Jesus taught us the same thing. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, one of the Pharisees comes up to Jesus and he questions him and he says, Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? That's what he asks Jesus and Jesus responds to him. Do you remember what Jesus says? Jesus answers the Pharisee in Matthew 22, verse 27. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus, in Matthew 22, he basically summarizes the entire Ten Commandments as two commands. The first command, the vertical, love God with everything you are. And then the second command, all the horizontal commandments... Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is quoting Leviticus 19, 18, which means that this verse in Leviticus 19 is not just central to chapter 19, but according to Jesus, this commandment is the second greatest commandment in the entire Bible, okay? So I'm listening, right? Like we're leaning in here. 
This is an important, a super important command. We're all tracking with that, right? Leviticus 19:18. It's a big deal, okay? Both Jesus and Paul agree. So we're leaning in. Here's the thing. You got a track here, okay? Remember that all these commands in Leviticus 19, remember what they're, remember what they're about. They're about God. God is telling us how to live holy. That's the purpose, holiness. So if we put it together, it goes like this. If the purpose of these commands is to live holy, and the summary of all these commands about living holy is to love your neighbor as yourself, then to live holy means to love your neighbor. Agree? We're tracking this. We can make sense of this. We're just connecting dots. We're just putting it together. What's more difficult, though, is, is when it comes to training our imaginations to really believe what we just saw, to really get it. And we can connect the dots, but do we really get it? See, I think a lot of times when we imagine a very holy person, just think right now, think about someone, a very holy person. I think a lot of times when we imagine a very holy person, I think we think of someone who might be a little stuffy. Like maybe we think about someone who's maybe a little bit like socially out of touch, right? We, we, have, an, we have this idea of, of maybe like a monk who's super isolated and removed from the world and everyday life. I think a lot of times we think of holiness in that way. We imagine a really holy person to be someone kind of a loner, you know. Here's the thing, though. That is not the Bible's vision for holiness. Maybe you don't think that, but if you do, hear this. According to what Leviticus tells us, the holiest people are actually the most loving people. And in order to, to, to love people, in order to love your neighbor, it means you gotta get in there, man. You gotta be on the ground. You gotta get your hands dirty. You gotta know people. You gotta talk to people. You gotta keep your head up. You gotta keep your eyes open, right? That's holiness according to the Bible. That's why this word neighbor is so important. Our horizontal love for other people is not a vague love for people in general, but it's a love for real people with faces who live in proximity to us. And so here's how it goes. If, if, if the people we're called to love are not generic, then it means our love for those people can't be generic either. But our love for these people is demonstrated in particular, tangible ways. And this is where I think this second truth comes in. So the first truth is to love, to, to live holy is to love your neighbor. The second truth is to love your neighbor is to honor the body. 1918. Look at 1918 again. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in that last part there, as yourself, is obviously vital to this command. It's an important part of the sentence. Agree? How we love others has to do, in some way, 
with how we love ourselves. Now, what does that mean? When God says here, as yourself, what's he talking about? Well, my guess is that most of us, when we think about ourself, we think in terms of the psychological. My hunch is that when we hear the phrase, love yourself, my hunch is that when we hear that, we think it means think well of yourself. We think it means to have self-esteem. We think it means to have a positive self-image. And the reason we think that way is because we've been shaped by the world to think this way. Now, I wrote, I wrote about this to you. It's too much to get into now, but I wrote a letter to you yesterday uh, in the email for you to go read and, and, and kind of trace how all this works. You don't have time to get into it now, but, but basically our 21st century American culture has a very low view of the body, right? It's actually body hatred. The way that our world teaches us to conceive of selfhood is that it's all about whatever we feel and think. And the body is just an appendage that we despise, exploit, or manipulate to fit whatever we think and feel. The world hates the body. And that's a problem when it comes to how we understand the second most important command in the Bible. Because when God says to love your neighbor as yourself, the as yourself means your body. Now, it doesn't mean only your body. It's not only your body. It includes your mind. But your body is primary. Yourself in the Bible always means your physical existence with physical, real, tangible needs. And that matters for how we love others. It matters for how we think about how to love others. And again, Jesus taught us this too. Because in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, Jesus tells us a parable to illustrate Leviticus 19.18. This is amazing. It's story time with Jesus. He's going to tell us a story that shows us how to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. One day there was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho on the Jericho Road. And as this man was traveling down the road, he was suddenly ambushed by a band of robbers. And they beat him. They stole everything that he had. And they left him laying on the side of the road half dead. Just laying there. And then Jesus says he's laying there. This wounded man's laying there. And then three different people walk by him. A priest. A Levite. And then lastly, there was this Samaritan man. And the Samaritan man walks by him. 
And Jesus says it was only the Samaritan man who proved to be the true neighbor to this wounded man because he loved him. How? Okay, we want to know, how did he love him then? And Jesus says, he showed him mercy. The Samaritan man, he moved toward this wounded man. He, he moved toward him physically, in real space. Like he moved toward him physically and he bound up his wounds and he carried him to an inn and he told the innkeeper, whatever, whatever it costs, let me know, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for his stay. See, what happened is the Samaritan man, he loved the wounded man as himself, as if the wounded man were his own body. And Jesus says, he's doing it right. That's love for your neighbor. See, the Samaritan man, he loved the wounded man not by thinking good thoughts about him. Not by wishing him the best. Not by changing his avatar on social media. But he loved him by bending down and discovering his needs and then giving of his time and his resources to meet the physical needs of the wounded man. Jesus says this is it. This is how to love your neighbor. See, the problem that we're facing today in our culture is that we have such a low view of the body that we think it's actually possible to love our neighbor without any physical contact at all. It's hilarious, really. And see, what's happened is in this virtual world, we've become so concerned about all the people and all the stuff going on out there in virtual world that we've almost forgotten the people sitting right beside us, living right beside us, rubbing shoulders with us every day. And look, just, that is not the vision of Leviticus 19. Loving your neighbor as yourself is different. Leviticus 19 is about how to love the person next to you. Like right now, just look at the person next to you and say, this is about you. This is about you, it's true. It's about us in the room here. This is about how we live together as a people, loving, really loving one another and growing in holiness. This is about day-to-day, life on the ground, rubbing shoulders with real people kind of love. And as Christians, if we are going to truly love our neighbor as ourselves, it means that we must appreciate our physical integrated existence created by God. He has made us to be embodied souls. Honor the body. Honor the body. To... To love our neighbor as ourselves, it means we must honor the body. That's the second truth. Here's the third. To honor the body orders sexual relations. And everyone's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> this is a gnarly passage, right? Verses, chapters 18 and 20. Look, look at them again. Um, 
The whole unit here, these three chapters, chapter 19 is the center of this unit. And the central command in chapter 19 is to love your neighbor as yourself. We've established that. Both sides now of, of, uh, of, of chapter 19, 18 and 20, there's laws here about sexual relations. And, and these two chapters, again, they're, they're, they're almost identical. Every sin mentioned in 18 is mentioned again in 20. 18 is prohibitions, 20 is punishments. The same six forms of sexual immorality are mentioned twice. And the question is, how is this topic of sex related to the central command to love your neighbor as yourself? There's gotta be a connection. How? What's the connection? Well, the answer is that sexual immorality is fundamentally a dishonoring of the body and therefore is a failure to love your neighbor as yourself. If we were to spend time and look at each of these things in chapters 18 and 20, the one thing, the one thing that they all have in common is that they, ex they, they all exploit the body in rebellion against God. Hear that again. They exploit the body in rebellion against God. That's what sexual immorality does. Sexual immorality says, it is my body. I can do whatever I want. Or it says, just bodies. We do however we feel. You guys get that? That's what each of these things in chapters 18 and 20 are saying. They're shaking the fist at God by despising his design. And it makes whatever the person thinks or feels to be the authority. See, what this is, is an anything goes kind of sexuality where the only thing that matters is consent. That's the only thing. Apart from that, anything goes. It's our bodies, our bodies. We can do what we want, which means we make ourselves to be God. This is why sexual immorality is not like other sins. It's just not, it's different. And I'm not the one who says that. The Apostle Paul is the one who says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So in the context of 1 Corinthians, uh, in, in that letter, there had been a situation of sexual immorality in the church. And in fact, it was, it was, a blatant, it was blatant disobedience to Leviticus 18.8 in, in Corinth. And so what Paul does is Paul addresses this. And in his addressing this, he actually teaches us about, sexual, about, about sexuality. And when Paul teaches us about sexuality, he gets right to the issue. And guess what he says? He says that sexuality all has to do with how we understand the body. This is amazing. Listen to this. this is, listen to Paul's argument. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, Paul writes in the New Testament, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
and God the Father raised the Lord Jesus and will also raise us up by his power, which means this, as much as we may not like our bodies, God cares about them. He's going to raise your body up, Christian. He's going to restore your body. God cares about the body and so should we. We should honor our bodies. Now listen to what else Paul says. Verse 18. Verse 18, Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Straightforward command. Flee sexual immorality. But then Paul tells us why. Listen to what he says. Verse 18. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. How? How, Paul? Verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. It's my body. I can do whatever I want. No, it's not. And no, you can't. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So... Glorify God in your body. In your body. Your body. You guys see it here? Our bodies are created by God. They are designed by God for God's glory. Therefore, our bodies have intrinsic value and we must honor them, which is why we flee sexual immorality. And as the people of God, to know this about the body and to live this way sets us apart from everybody else. That's super clear. In Leviticus 18 and 20, the way God reveals, this is fascinating, the way God reveals his moral will about sexuality begins and ends with God saying, my people must not do what the other people of the world do. He says it. Look, look at chapter 18, verse 3. He says, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. So the place I took you from, God says, and the place I'm bringing you to, don't listen to what they say about sex. Don't listen to them. Don't do what they do. Don't think the way that they think. God says it again in chapter 20, verse 23. He says, all the nations around Israel, they do all of these sexually immoral things and therefore he detests them. It's a strong Hebrew word. It means to loathe or to feel disgust toward. And in fact, the sexual immorality of the Canaanites was so repulsive that even the land itself could not stomach it. And God says that the land vomited them out. So don't be like them. That's what God's saying. Don't be like them. There's a right way to do this. A better way. 
Human sexuality is a big deal. It's a big deal. Human sexuality is the first building block of whole societies. And it has always been top of the list when it comes to rebellion against God. There's nothing the enemy wants to do more than to distort a people's understanding of sex. Because where sexuality is distorted, it leads to macro destruction. It's a big deal. Overall, sexual immorality is really a failure to love your neighbor as yourself. Because sexual immorality is the extreme dishonoring of the body. And where the body is dishonored, we don't truly love our neighbor. And when we don't truly love our neighbor, we don't grow in holiness. And when we're not growing in holiness, we're not living close to God. That's how it's all connected. See it? That's how it's all connected. Right here. Holiness comes by loving others, which means we honor the body. Which means we obey what God teaches us about human sexuality. Just a few truths in Leviticus 17 to 20. And I, I cannot think of anything more relevant for us today, right? In the book of Leviticus, of all places, how crucially relevant this is. What we're finding here is we are discovering a vision for what it means to be the people of God, growing together in holiness as we are surrounded by a fallen world of death. That's the vision here. But what if we really mess this up? How are you feeling right now? How are you thinking? What are you thinking? Look, what if we've really messed this up? I'm not talking about our culture right now. I'm not talking about our society. I'm not, I'm not talking about our country. I'm talking about us. What if we have lived like the Canaanites? What if we have dishonored our bodies? What if you, in your life, what if you have rebelled against God's design? Well, the Apostle Paul actually speaks to you. He has something to say to you, and he, it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul tells us that the unrighteous, wrongdoers who persist in rebellion against God, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul says, and such were some of you. Us. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Whatever your story is this morning, whatever your story is, whatever your sexual brokenness is, whatever your sin is at all, if you come to Jesus, he will save you. He will save you. He will call you out of this fallen world 
And by his atoning death for you, and by his resurrection from the dead, he will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will make you a brand new creation. And he will bring you close to God. Church, let us live there. Let us live there close to God. Let us live there together, forgiven. Loving one another, becoming holy, close to God. Close to God until one day we're all going to see Jesus face to face. This is where we're going. Amen? Let's stand now. And I want to close this in prayer. And we're going to sing. Father, we, we, we pray, glorify your name. Glorify your name in our lives, in our church. You be glorified. By your grace, we recognize that we are not our own, but we exist because of you. We exist for you. And we ask by your Holy Spirit, lead us to live in such a way that shows real love for one another and that magnifies your worth. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.